Welcome to Renovation Church in upstate New York, where it snows. But friends, we as a church just celebrated a milestone. We just celebrated 10 years as a church. 10 whole years. There's a lot to celebrate and praise God for in those things, right? And, and we might think like, look at us, 10 years, we've made it, we're making it, look at how great we're doing. But the reality is, is 10 years is not that long. To put it into perspective, we're in fifth grade. And, and if there are any 10-year-olds here, I'm not trying to shame you. It's okay. We, we're all 10 at one point in our lives. But, but, but 10, it's fifth grade. We, we just memorized our parents' phone number in case of emergencies. Right? We're still trying to figure out how to set the table the right way. It, it wasn't even just a minute ago that we were learning how to talk, walk, and speak, or just anything, tie our shoes. We're only 10. And this means that the truth is that there's more to do. There's more growing to do. That the work isn't done. But after 10 years as a church, it can be easy to become complacent. Right? This is especially for some of us who have been here since the beginning. Like We put in our time years ago, and now we can sort of like sit back, kick our feet up, enjoy some residual blessing from work we put in then, but not work that we have to do now. Maybe some of us are new, and maybe you might fall into the trap of thinking that there isn't anything for you to do. Or even that you're simply here to receive rather than get to work. There is a work that this church is called to, and it isn't done. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the work that God calls His people to be committed to. Some of us over the next few weeks are going to make new commitments Praise God. Others of us are going to recommit. This morning we're talking about disciple making. Next week we'll be talking uh, about giving. Maisie will be preaching on giving. And then the week after we'll be talking about prayer. These are the things we are devoting ourselves to in 2024. Things that we've always been devoted to. The things that we're focusing on this year. So if you please open your scriptures, open up, up to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to invite Ray, uh, sorry, April Bousquet to come and read the word for us. Please draw your attention to her. Good morning. Our passage this morning, as Ethan said, comes from the New Testament book of Colossians, starting with chapter 1, verse 24. This is the word of the God of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. Let's go to the Spirit and ask his assistance this morning. Lord God Almighty, we come to you and we ask that by your Spirit you would open our minds and our hearts that we may behold your Son, Jesus Christ, in these words. Give us grace and strength. Lead us in all truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul is writing to Colossians, Colossians, the Colossian church, and he is committed to the ministry of Christ's words. Right? He wrote to Colossians, to the Colossian church, from prison. About the same time, he wrote to the Philippians and to the Ephesians. What's different, though, is that Paul probably had never been to the Colossian church. He didn't really know any of the people there. Colossae wasn't even really that impressive of a city. It was sort of a, maybe a suburb of a larger, more impressive city of Laodicea. The only reason he knew about Colossae, the church there, was because of one of its founding members, Epaphras, who came and visited Paul in prison to give report about the church. So it's interesting when Paul says in his, in his opening verse, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. He doesn't even know these people. But Paul suffered on their behalf. He never met them, yet he saw himself as intimately connected to them. Friends, this is the nature of the church. That we are connected more so with people that we have never known nor met, will maybe never meet because of Jesus Christ. That we have more in common with a Palestinian Christian than a secular American. More in common with our friends at Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church on Onondaga Hill, who I'm assuming no one here knows anyone that goes there. And yet they're there. And I know that they're standing on the gospel there. This is the nature of the church, of Christ's body. It was no small thing that Paul rejoiced in his painful work on their behalf. Paul's suffering as a minister revealed Christ's union with his people. Right? That Paul's ongoing work was the continuing work of Christ in the world. Right? He, says, he, says, he goes on, he says, 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. This is an interesting phrase, isn't it? I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction? Let's not misunderstand Paul. Paul's not saying, hey, there's some like missing key component in Jesus' suffering that like I'm filling up, that I'm uh, accomplishing on behalf of the people of God, something that Christ didn't do. That's not what he's saying. That there's no missing component of salvation that Paul is accomplishing, that Christ's suffering and his salvation was once and for all. Paul's rather talking about his participation in Christ's suffering as Christ is at work in the final age. If you remember some of the passages we went through in Philippians, how Paul often talks about the Christian life as a participation in Christ's life, that the Christian life begins to reflect the life that Christ had, and Christ suffered greatly, so we shouldn't be surprised that when we suffer, we, that we suffer at all but that we should rejoice because our suffering is a participation in Christ's suffering. For Paul, this is huge. Because at one time, Christ said to Saul, the persecutor of the church, why do you persecute me? But now the persecutor has become a participant in being persecuted. Paul suffered because Christ's work in the world wasn't Done. We could even say that we suffer because Christ's work in the world isn't done. So Paul rejoiced as one who participated in Christ's life and could get to work with Christ. And he did this because of his calling as an apostle, specifically. He goes on to say, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See here that God didn't reveal everything at once just by snapping his fingers. That Paul's work for the church was God's continuing work in unveiling a mystery once hidden. There was a great mystery in the Old Testament. Some instances of this mystery, right? The identity of the seed of the woman, which comes right in Genesis 3, directly after the fall. Who's going to come and undo sin, Satan, and death? Or all of those other instances in the Old Testament where we have the angel of the Lord is identified as the Lord himself. How can he both be God's angel, but also God himself? We also have other strange instances where there seems to be communication in both like the Psalms and the prophets, communication between multiple divine agents. And yet, Old Covenant religion was strictly monotheist. 
There's a mystery in the Old Testament. Things not quite explained by it in and of itself. Something needed to be revealed. Long story short, all the mysteries of the Old Testament are revealed in the New Testament. Particularly in the Father sending the Son to live, die, and rise from the dead, establishing a kingdom and a people through the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. That is what the Old Testament is about. That's the mystery revealed in the New Testament, in the gospel, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Augustine, in one place, said the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the New Testament, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. I'll read that one more time because it sounds confusing. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. That is, that is on me. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. There is a mystery that needed to be revealed, and it was revealed. Though God primarily worked with the people of Israel for a time, he always had his eyes set on the world. And in Jesus Christ, the world can come to know the hope of salvation, the hope of glory. And to whom have these mysteries been revealed? Well, it says to his saints, to his church, to us. These mysteries are made known in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The, re the resurrection is the event that shapes, reshapes all of human history. It reveals that history is in fact his story. These mysteries are made known to us in, in God's word. As the New Testament authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Christ's salvation was revealed and expounded upon. Even in one place, right? What does Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, I think 14? He says the scriptures. Which scriptures? The Old Covenant scriptures, the Old Testament. What do they do? They make you wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. They don't even have the New Testament yet. Paul's writing it. Part of it. Old Testament, make you wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. These mysteries are made known by the inward working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of God's people. Right? It's the Spirit who comes in, takes up residence, opens the eyes of the mind, and gives new desires to people so that the veil would be lifted. The veil caused by sin right in us, in our minds, in our hearts, opening our eyes and our minds to the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus in that way, right? I pray that the Holy Spirit and trust that He is active now, revealing Christ to you in a salvific way. Friend, if you come to Jesus, you will know the hope of glory, which is Christ in you.
So what are we supposed to do with the revelation of such marvelous mystery, mysteries as a church? Paul is an answer. He wrote, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul was committed to the ministry of Christ's word for the maturity of Christ's people. He devoted himself to proclaiming Christ, to declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ, the one who saved him from sin and wrath. Paul's missionary journeys, which are a majority of the book of Acts, his life was all about preaching, teaching, warning Christ. We see that in Acts. He called people to come to Christ in faith and encouraged the churches to devote themselves to the same, to warn of the wrath to come. And he did this with all wisdom. Paul was about the work of disciple-making. I encourage you to, to read Acts this week, at least a portion of it, like maybe start in chapters 13, right? Chapters 13 through 17, maybe. And look at how Paul went about the work of disciple-making, right? He went from church to small group to one-on-one to the public square. Paul was making disciples in every sphere of his life, proclaiming Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that he might present everyone mature in Christ, right? He was committed to the maturity of Christ's people. He was committed to disciple-making. Paul knew that one day he was going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what he did with the people that the Lord gave him. What did he want? Present others mature in Christ before the Lord. Look at them, Lord. Look at what we did with the time, the resources that you gave us the life that we could devote ourselves to, to stand before the Lord in that way, together. Paul knew that he would have to do that to present others mature in Christ. Paul knew that the work wasn't done. So he went about the work all the days of his life. Friends, because the work isn't done in 2024, Renovation Church is going to be committed to the ministry of Christ's word for the maturity of Christ's people. As disciples, we are going to proclaim Christ in worship every Sunday as a gathered body. Right? I don't know what New Year's resolutions you had, but participating, attending to the worship of Christ's church 
on a weekly basis should be number one on our list every single year. Right? I don't want to mince words when it comes to worship. And if you know me at all, you know that I won't. As far as the scripture, as, as far as spiritual things are concerned, there is no greater obligation you owe to God, nor greater grace than you can receive than gathering with his people on the Lord's day to worship the Lord, to receive grace in the preaching of the word, to identify and affirm one another's baptisms, and to gather around the Lord's table to participate in Christ's body and blood and receive spiritual strength so that you might continue you to be disciples every day of your life. There is no greater grace in your life. There is no higher obligation that you owe. It's in this time that we are warned, that we are encouraged, that we are taught to love God, to love neighbor, to be reminded of Christ's promises, to receive his grace and his Mercy. Why am I insisting on the ministry of Christ's word in your life? Because we should desire maturity in Christ and pursue the means of grace to make us mature. Friends, because the work isn't done, let's commit ourselves to the ministry of Christ's word and worship for the maturity of Christ's people. And though we want to prioritize gathered worship, we do so because Sunday worship should have a cascading effect throughout the rest of the week. That as disciples, we are going to minister the word together to one another throughout the week. And one of the main ways that we do that is through missional communities, small groups, to give uh, some stats, just from the last, uh, the last year, missional community participation is about 50%. Um, that's not bad. I'm not complaining about that. It's a historic low for us. I remember at one time when it was like 85 90%. COVID done messed us up in our priorities, didn't it? Cut us off from one another. So friends, let's commit ourselves to ministering Christ's word to one another and MC this year. Right? If, you, if you've not been a part of an MC, I highly encourage you, please be a part of an MC on a weekly basis. Or if, if you haven't been a part of an MC for like a really long time, reconsider that. Be a part of an MC for the coming year. This is one of the greatest ways that this church reconnects throughout the week. It's a time when we can continue to proclaim Christ to one another, to minister Christ's word to one another. Goodness gracious, how many times in my own MC has it been 8.15 and we're only just starting to pray and I'm like, oh my goodness, do we have enough time to pray? But the reality is, is that we want to go person to person, praying for each and every one of us, giving each and every one of us an opportunity to pray for the other person. 
Isn't that worth going to bed late over? To pray for one another? To read God's word together? To just hang out even? Friends, because the work isn't done, let's commit ourselves to ministry, to the ministry of Christ's word for the maturity of Christ's people in missional community. Well, that same cascading effect, grin, Sunday worship, greatest grace in your life, cascading effect through the rest of the week goes from gathered body to smaller groups to our one-on-one relationships. Right? We have a need as a people to be taught and warned by others more mature than us. The New Testament gives some examples of such relationships, right? You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had, there's three of them that were real close to him. Paul himself, disciple Timothy, and Paul gave the pattern of discipleship in the church in Titus 2, right? When he says older men are to be dignified and sound in faith and love. And they are to train younger men to do the same. Older women are to be reverent and to teach what is good. And so train younger women to be the same. Please know that disciple-making in one-on-one relationships isn't done. If you're a member of Renovation Church, I don't even know, like, our demographic drastically shifted when we planted Covenant, right? We have one of the lowest age demographics in, like, the Northeast. Not just, like, central New York, but in the Northeast. We're a young church, So I'm not quite sure what number to throw out, but I have 35 down. And if you're over the age of 35, is that even that old? I don't even know. I'm about to turn 33. Does that make me young? (laughs) I'm feeling, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Listen, if you are older than someone, you should commit yourself to someone younger than you this year to be in a one-on-one discipling relationship with. Can you commit one day every other week to spend with a younger person? Can you commit one day every other week to teach and warn them so that they might be mature in Christ? Can you commit to reading the word with them? Can you commit to praying with them and for them. Can you commit to talking with them about their struggles? Can you commit to their maturity? Will you present someone to Christ mature in him? Friends, we must. This is what Christ calls us to. And I don't know what you're thinking right now, but if you hear that and you're thinking, you know what, I don't need to do that. Then I don't know what you mean when you call yourself a disciple. 
Because this is what Christ's disciples do. Christ's disciples disciple others. They commit themselves to the maturity of younger disciples, to see them mature in godliness, to present them mature in Christ. This is what the Lord calls us to this year and for our whole life. Because disciples of Jesus Christ commit themselves to helping other disciples in their discipleship. Friends, the, because the work isn't done, let's commit ourselves to ministering Christ's word in discipleship for the maturity of Christ's disciples. If you want more, one more concrete way, I'm super excited about this. You've heard it here first, folks, right? What more concrete way to pursue discipleship in 2024? I'm going to be leading what we're calling Renovation Academy. These will be two four-month commitments throughout this year. Four-month commitments to read, memorize scripture, and learn how to pray and confess with the Universal Church. That our first academy semester will start at the end of this month. And it will uh, focus, we're going to focus on uh, the doctrines of God, Christ, and Revelation. I'm very excited about it. I hope that there are some here that will join me for this. If you want to know God better, because he is your highest good, and you want to grow in faith, hope, and love, Ask me about it after service, because that's what we're doing this year. We're going to grow together in these virtues, because the work isn't done. Let's commit ourselves to the ministry of Christ's word for the maturity of Christ's people in faith, hope, and love. Friends, as much as we need to be caring for one another, we also ought to care for those in the world, for those outside these four walls. We want to, we want more people to know Jesus Christ. Amen? Evangelism is simply discipleship or the act of discipling applied to an unbeliever. It's doing them some spiritual good, as Mark Dever would say. So we proclaim Christ to those who are far from him. We must teach our neighbors about the love of God in Jesus Christ, the salvation accomplished by him, the fact that they can have hope, not only in this life, but ultimate hope in the next life. We have to warn our neighbors of the judgment to come, right? Christ's words his opening words in his ministry in the Gospel of Mark, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. How often are we just trying to be so careful speaking to our neighbors that we confuse love with fear? It is loving to tell our neighbors who are in the utmost danger 
of the coming judgment, that they have a need to repent and to find actual forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We warn everyone. We teach everyone with all wisdom because we want more people to know Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, because the work isn't done, let's commit ourselves to ministering Christ's word to the lost for the making of Christ's disciples. Now, I'm sure that seems like a lot to be committed to. And you know what? It is. It is. You have a lot happening in your life. We've got a lot. We've got a lot happening in our lives. It's kind of, it makes me feel unfair that the dude in full-time ministry stands up here and tries to dictate to you how you ought to live, given all of the complexities and the busyness and the children and the jobs and all of this. Listen, I want to sympathize, empathize, right? In some senses, I gave up that kind of life so that I could do this, right? But we're not going into this year doing these things by our own strength, by our own power. Paul knew this, right? And he says, he says this, he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul toiled and struggled, not with his own energy, but with God's energy that he powerfully worked within him. I don't need to remind you of everything happening in your life. I'm sure it's a lot. But I just have one question. Is your life organized to prioritize disciple-making? And are you trusting God for his power to get to work? Because this is what the Lord calls us to. And he doesn't leave us empty-handed. He doesn't just kick us to the curb. He doesn't tell us to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, which is such a nonsense saying, which I think is the point. Like, it's impossible, right? He's not just saying, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. Go get it done. Peace. No. The Lord gives us a work, and he gives us a power and a strength to accomplish the work. He gives us a power and a strength to accomplish the work. When you find yourself in 2024 drained, empty, tired, confused, wondering at your last straw, how the heck, after all of that, are you supposed to meet with this young person who's struggling? After all of that, how are you supposed to get up on a Sunday morning, go to church, and have any focus whatsoever? After all of that, and even the snow, maybe, right? How am I supposed to go to small group? I'm tired, I'm miserable, and honestly, sometimes these people drive me crazy. How are you going to do it? 
right? When you have all of this to do and you decided out of silliness to join Ethan's crazy four-month commitment thing and you're reading 100 pages a month and you're memorizing scripture, after all of that, how the heck am I going to do this? By God's power, grace, and strength. Because I promise you that when you commit yourself to kingdom priorities, God gives you kingdom strength. He will be merciful to you. He will give you grace and strength to accomplish and walk in the things that he tells you to. If God loves something and you say, I'm going to love the thing God loves, do you really think he's not going to give you the grace and strength to do the thing that he loves? Friends, when you're tired this year, step out in faith, trusting the Lord's grace and strength to get to work. Amen? That's so good, bro. Thanks, Mace. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is what we are going to commit ourselves to in 2024. We are committing ourselves to the ministry of Christ's word for the maturity of Christ's people. Amen? Let me pray. Gracious and most merciful God, we come to you in Jesus. Lord, we love you. We confess our desires are often crooked. But Lord, we ask also that you would set our desires straight. Help us to love the things you love and give us strength to walk in them. Lord, we can't do it. Lord, just as the Israelites needed to call to you, needed to expect you to go before them in battle for victory, God, we need you to go before us in all things, to give us grace and strength to live. Have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Give us your strength. Give us your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.